right, so I want to give a quick update about uh, the Ukraine ministry that we've been talking about every week for the last couple of weeks. Um, Jed and Kim uh, are, in, uh, are, are in a ministry called Wide Awake. They run a, uh, an organization that adopts people with disabilities and has been basically adopting people with disabilities and bringing them into their homes to just love on them and to care for them. And they have, um, you know, they had, I don't know, 45 to 60 people staying at their homestead in Ukraine. And so we've been praying for them every week. And uh, last week, we mentioned that they had to leave Ukraine. And so yesterday, I had a chance to catch up with Jed um, on FaceTime, and they're in Germany now. So most of their team is there. So um, they're thankful for our prayers. They want us to keep on praying because of all the stuff that's going on. They have a few people that are still in Ukraine uh, that just due to the People who have disabilities that are in those families are unable to make the, the travel, you know, to another country. But, you know, everything that you're watching on the news, it's terrible, right? I mean, there's no good, you know, reports coming out. Uh, it just came, keeps getting worse. But they are there. They foresee, you know, the question right now is kind of like, what's the future going to look like? But they shared something with me this week, or he shared something with me yesterday, I should say, that uh, really was interesting. So they basically had two convoys of uh, people traveling to get out of Ukraine. And one group went through Poland and they sat in line for like three days, literally just, just slowly driving. Um, and then Jed had to travel a different route um, with another person in another car who, who uh, didn't have like the right passport, I guess, to be able to go through, uh, they didn't think. So while he was doing it, um, for 24 plus hours, they just sat there and and he just saw hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people who don't have cars because most people in Ukraine don't have vehicles, but they were walking, carrying a backpack with all of their belongings with the assumption that, you know, whatever tomorrow looks like is better than yesterday because of what's been going on. And um, he was, you know, kind of like frustrated about having to sit in that line, but he really felt like God showed him that that was what he needed to see is all these refugees making, you know, an exodus out of the country. And it helped like kind of put perspective in, in, in light of things. And so we're going to keep praying for them. Um, there also are going to be some ways for us to, to give towards their ministry. I mean, they're still kind of shell-shocked and trying to figure out like what is going to be, you know, the future uh, that they're going to be involved in. Um, so we're going to pray for them right now. And would you mind standing with me as we pray just for a moment? And we're going to keep giving you updates, and if you, again, follow our social media, we've been trying to, every time there's something that comes out, we put it on our Instagram stories, which I think goes on our Facebook stories. But, um, so, Father, we want to lift up this, this organization specifically, Wide Awake International, and their, um, their team, and all the different people that are involved in that ministry, as well as the entire country of Ukraine, and I think, Lord... We also want to lift up the Russian people who are suffering. Um, Lord, there's just so many different components to this, um, this terrible situation. Um, but we pray for your work to be done for an end to this war, uh, that you would, Lord, continue to provide safety, and that you'd provide um, the necessary humanitarian resources that are needed for all of the people that are suffering right now. And we pray that your, your church there would be a, a light right now. We pray for um, just supernatural sovereign protection, though, for all of those children, um, for all the people who are, who are trying to, to um, survive. 
it's so hard for us to maybe even understand um, what they're going from, going through. But we just pray that you would help us to do all that we can through our prayers, and that we would do what is necessary in the coming future to be a resource for them. And we pray now for this time where we spend um, thinking about the teachings of the Bible. And we ask that you would guide us and help us along. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we've been in a sermon series for four weeks now that we're calling Church Blueprint. And what we're doing is we're talking about a blueprint or how to navigate the future, toward the future, and the things that, that we want to see happen in our church community and, you know, happen uh, for our, our city. Because we exist as a church, not for ourselves, but for the world around us. And we've been talking about a number of things. You know, I think we started out talking about how any conversation in a vineyard church about church has to start with the kingdom of God. It has to start with Jesus, the king, and the kingdom of God. And so we talked about how that that theological framework is really central for who we are. And then we started this conversation about why church matters and what the church is. And last week we we opened up to Ephesians chapter 1, and we read through 3 through 14, and we just kind of mined that a little bit to see all the things that, that Paul, the apostle, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, writes concerning the people of God and what is true about who we are. And we kind of fleshed that out a little bit. Um, but we're really thinking about how are we going to chart a course for the future. And as I've been thinking a lot about the, the framework that I'm hoping we can build on, is I really do believe um, that we need to have a really good understanding of what we are as the people of God so that we can function in the calling that we have. Because I do think there's a connection between our identity and our function. If we know who we are, it'll be easier for us to do the things that Jesus has called us to. And so we're just kind of laying that groundwork. And today I want to I dive a little bit more into this, this question of what is the church. We're going to spend a little bit more time thinking about what is the church. And, and I want to just throw that caveat again, that as easy as it is to be depressed about church world, and maybe you're not, but I have to tell you, this last week I literally had like 15 conversations with people who just told me stories about how they were treated by people in church. And I was like, oh, this is why people find church so annoying. And annoying is a very Christian churchy word to use. There are other words I want to use. But you know what I'm talking about? Like people, and maybe you've experienced that. I mean, I just heard story after story where, you know, people have, have tried to like desperately figure out having a relationship with God, and then they're basically told that they're not good enough or whatever it is. And, and so I've been just like, that's interesting because it's like, it, have you ever noticed how when it rains it pours? And it's fascinating to me that it's like, I just have everybody I'm talking to, they all have like this, so I'm like, huh, what's God going, what's God up to right now? Maybe we need to talk about that a little bit. Maybe we need to rethink uh, a bit of this, this church uh, identity thing and, and rethink like, why are, why are we here? What is this all about? So I want to spend a little time talking again about what the church is because I think that we need to have a really strong understanding of our identity who we are, who you are, okay, because it matters. And I think that the more that we understand about who we are, the, the more we'll be committed to functioning in that identity and doing the things that, 
that we're called to do. And so, like, I feel like we could all sit around in a circle and have a therapy session about how destructive churches can be and how we all have probably been hurt by that or any of those different things. And, and so it's, it's easy to understand why there's people out there who, like, love Jesus but don't want to have anything to do with church. One of my favorite books by Tan, Dan Kimball is called um, They Like Jesus But They Don't Like the Church because I can relate to that. I can relate to that idea. But at the same time, too, Jesus said, I will build my church. I will build my church. And all throughout the scriptures, we see Jesus loving the church and calling the church to be who it is. And so, like, there's this tension where I think we need to acknowledge the reality of how some people have experienced us. Can we say us? Have experienced us. And also, we need to have this tension of, how we're supposed to function and how we're supposed to be committed to one another and this idea. And so that's what I want to do just for a few minutes this morning is, is really kind of talk about the church a little bit. And, you know, as followers of Jesus, our source of authority when it comes to how we make decisions, how we know what God wants for our lives is found in Scripture. So followers of Jesus for 2,000 years have said this is the infallible rule of faith. Like if you want to know what God's perspective is, we go here. We look to, to the inspired scriptures, which were inspired by the Holy Spirit, God himself. And so when we're talking about the church, I want to just think a little bit bigger because oftentimes around this time, people will start to say, hey, Pentecost is coming. So after Easter is Pentecost. After, after Easter is Pentecost, and Pentecost is the birth of the church. And we have this, this idea in a lot of churches that Acts chapter 2, when the Holy Spirit is poured out on the people of God, that that's where the church started. But I actually don't think that's true. I think the church, the idea of the community of God's kingdom goes further back. I think it goes further back. And so if you have a Bible, I want to encourage you to go to Genesis chapter 12. Um, if you have a phone that has a Bible on it, you can whip that out. Did anybody bring that, that old school thing that's paper called a Bible, just out of curiosity? Bible over there. Anybody else got a Bible over there? Who's got the biggest Bible, though? That's the question. Right. Who's got the biggest Bible? But Genesis chapter 12, we're going to read just three verses this morning and work our way through it. Because when we're going to talk about the church, I think we have to go back and look at where we could arguably say the concept of the people of God begins to get fleshed out a, a little bit here. And so when we're tracing the history of God's people, we go to Genesis, I think. And, and so Genesis chapter 1, God creates everything. Genesis chapter 2, it's a restatement of that thing. Uh, how that happens. Genesis chapter 3 is when the fall happens. Human beings rebel against God. Everything becomes the Jerry Springer show after that. It's true. But there's, uh, in Genesis chapter 12, there's this man named Abram, okay? And I want to read these verses, and I want us just to talk about this and, and see what, what may help us to have a better understanding of who we are and what we're called to. So Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3, we read these words. The Lord had said to Abram, leave your native country, your relatives, and your father's family, and go to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you and make you famous, and you will be a blessing to others. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who treat you with contempt. All the families on earth will be blessed through you. All the families of the earth 
that we bless through you. Now, if you've been around the church or maybe the Bible, you probably know that this is a pretty prominent story, right? Abraham is, is considered the father of all the monotheistic religions, right? So Judaism, Christianity, and Islam, all they all think that Abraham is like the, the, the beginning of it, right? And so everybody talks about Abraham. When you were in Sunday school, anybody grew up going to Sunday school? Just out of curiosity. All right, a few of you did. How many of you remember the felt board? Little green felt board? I thought about getting it out. Get these projectors out of here. <laughs> but you remember that song? Father Abraham had many sons, and many sons had... Okay, it's done. Y'all remember that, that song though, right? You know, and you'd, you'd have a little felt board, you know, and you're just like, oh my gosh, when's the cookie coming? <laughs> that, was, that was my Sunday school experience. But we all probably have heard that song or we know a little bit about it. And Abraham is considered the father of all these religions. And, and so Abraham is a prominent figure in the Bible. In, in fact, this is interesting. So, you know, there's, there's some people who will teach that the church began at Pentecost. And, and I'm just saying, ah, I don't think so. I think it actually, the concept of the church, which is the community of God's kingdom, goes way back. And we see that in Ephesians chapter 3, where Paul says that we as Gentiles are, quote, fellow members, fellow heirs of the same people. So God has always had a plan to gather up people together and to make them into something that we would call a family. That's always been his plan. And so it's fleshed out here in Genesis chapter 12. I just think this is like little seeds are being planted for us to think about what the church actually is. But I, I remember reading this story over and over again. I mean, in fact, in Romans and in Galatians, Paul uses Abraham as the example for faith. Like, you want to know about faith? We're going to go here, okay? And so I, I remember reading this time and time again and just being like, oh, yeah, Father Abraham, sweet, felt bored, yay. But I never really understood this text until six years ago. Actually, like six and a half years ago. And, you know, our story, some of you are new, so, you know, you maybe haven't heard this, but my wife and I were in Wisconsin. We lived out in Wisconsin for like 15 years. You know, we had a really stable, happy life. We were pastoring a church. We had all these great people in our community. Uh, I could eat cheese curds, deep fried cheese curds, whenever I wanted. It was awesome. Um, <laughs> And then there were the winters that were very cold. But we, we started to sense, as we were praying, and after pastoring this church for 12 years, we started to sense that Jesus was inviting us to leave our home and our family and move and transition. The transition was the word for us. We kept hearing this word transition, and I was like, I don't know what that means. And I remember we spent a year talking to every person that we, we knew and we loved and trying to to like process this growing sense that God was calling us to something different and something new. And it was really scary um, for, for us, I think, in many ways, because like the whole idea of picking up and going and leaving everything that you've known and leaving all the people that you're around, it's really challenging and really hard. Have any of you ever done that before? It's like it's really hard, right? And so I remember um, going through that process and and as I started reading Genesis 12, it, like, I read it differently. I was like, oh my gosh. Abraham is, is invited by God to take this huge risk. Huge risk. God says, I want you to leave everything that you know behind. 
I want you to leave behind everything that will be your future inheritance. All of the land and the things that are accumulated in your small community, I want you to pick up and go. And it's this invitation, and it's really pretty, pretty crazy. And so, you know, in 2015, the Lord starts to speak to to me in prayer, and, and I just have this growing sense of transition, and we start praying, and we spend a year, and then we really felt like we were, we were pretty sure we knew exactly what we were supposed to do. I was like, I've, 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 I know what we're doing. We're going to pack up our bags, and we're going to move to Chicago, and we're going to pastor this church that we had a friend who was going to re- retire from, and that's what we, we just were pretty convinced about. And, and, you know, the story is really funny because then, you know, someone's like, well, have you thought about Red Bluff? And I was like, I have no idea where that is. What's a Red Bluff? And I looked up on Google, you know, where's Red Bluff? And I found it. And then the first thing that popped up was Girl in the Box. If you don't know about that, <laughs> if you don't know about that, look it up. But I was like, we're not moving to Red Bluff. There's some crazy stuff there, right? And uh, I'm like, all right, well, we're convinced we're convinced that what we're going to do is like easy. Like Chicago's only like four and a half hours, five hours from where we live. It'll be close to our family, blah, blah, blah. And, and so, but I had this friend who, who we, I started processing this with, and he says, you know what? Why don't you just go out to Red Bluff and just check it out? You, you can't really say no to something that you haven't experienced or seen. And we're like, all right, well, I guess we'll do that. So we came out. And, I mean, the only way to say it is that after one day, we were so in love with Red Bluff. And it was like, it was like the worst thing ever because I was like, oh, California, are you serious? You know, but I'll never forget. We hadn't even come to church here on a Sunday morning yet. And Don and I were just sitting at, at Bill and Katie's bunkhouse in bed at like four in the morning because the time changed. We're like wide awake. And it's like, what do you think? And Don's like, what do you think? And we both just started crying because we knew that God was calling us here. We just knew. And I think that's the thing about when God invites us to, like, leave behind all the things that we know and to take a massive risk. When you say yes to God, though, there is a sense of, of, like, confidence and joy knowing that you're being obedient to Jesus. It's like we didn't know what was going to happen. We had no idea, you know, what was going to happen when we got out here. But we just knew that God was inviting us to leave behind what we knew and to say yes to taking a risk for him and his kingdom. And when we got out here, we just we just fell in love more and more with the community and with the people. And that's, you know, interesting how in Genesis chapter 12, we see Abraham um, being invited to something bigger than he could see at that time. But listen to what we read here. Listen to this. The Lord says to Abraham, leave your, na- your native country, your relatives, and your father's family, and go to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you and make you famous, and you will be a blessing to others. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who treat you with contempt. All the families on earth will be blessed through you. In other words, in your obedience and in your willingness to say yes to this invitation, the whole entire world is going to be blessed by that activity. So what does this have to do with the church? I think this is what this has to do with church. I think God was looking to build a family. God was looking to build a family. And so the church's identity is that of family. The church's identity is that of family. So 
What does a family do? Well, right here we see that according to Genesis 12, that the family blesses others. The family blesses others. In fact, God blesses us so that we can turn around and bless others. I had this friend. His name was Jeremy. And I mean, this guy was like Mr. Generosity. And it was like, we, I, my, my wife and I, Don and I just saw him always like helping people. And we ended up um, hiring him as our youth pastor. And he was just constantly like helping people. But he was a student. He was going to grad school to, to finish school. And we're like, he has no money ever. But every time he had something, he gave it away. And so Don and I are praying. And we're like, we just really want to bless Jeremy. We just really feel like God wants us to bless him. And so we prayed. We felt like the Lord said, just give him $500. Okay. And so I walked up to him and I was like, hey, man, I just really feel like God wants us to do this and to bless you. And I gave him this check and he was like, oh, man, thank you so much. You have no idea. And I was like, that's amazing. That's so cool. God bless you. Just wanted to give it with the goodness of my heart. No strings. But I do want an IRS taxable donation. No, I was kidding. <laughs> so anyway, we give it to him. And then like a week and a half later, I run into this super crazy lady in our church. Okay. Everybody's got one. And I was like, I was like, hey, how are you doing? And she's like, oh, I'm just blessed. And I was like, oh, really? And she's like, yeah, you'll never guess what happened to me. I was like, what happened? And she's like, oh, Jeremy walked up to me last night, and he just handed me a check for $500 and just blessed me. And I was like, he what? I was like, internally, I was so mad. I was like, how dare he? How dare he give that money? And I was really mad about it. And then I was praying about it. And I just thought how, what a beautiful picture of the kingdom of God. And that's, that's Genesis 12. We've been blessed so we can bless others. And Jeremy did that all the time. And you know what? Want to know how he lived? He lived blessed. He was blessed. Like he was so generous. Always. It was like God would just bring just so much money into his life. And he was just constantly just receiving it and turning it around and giving it away. And it was just such a beautiful picture of, of, of this idea. And I just think this is, this is how the family is supposed to, supposed to function. As we're supposed to function as, as, as the church community that's committed to this idea of family. So I want to tell you why I think church matters. And that's kind of what I've been arguing lately. Because I just really think that it's interesting how um, due to the last two years, people have become more disconnected. We're all in this default zone of like not willing to really take the initiative to step out in faith and do something. But what I think we need to really hear is that Jesus is inviting us to re-up and to recommit to the kingdom of God and to the community of God's people. So why does church matter? Is because I think the church is a place where we both receive God's blessings and then we give God's blessings away. That's the whole way that God has designed us. The church is a place to be loved and then to love others. The church is a place to be served and then to serve others. I mean, that's what happens in the community of God's people. And so here's what happens for us is that um, if I went around the room right now and I asked you how many of you have had a terrible family experience, I think we'd have a lot of hands up in this room. Like a lot of you can be like, man, I'll tell you, you want to talk about, about father? Let me tell you about my dad. Or you know what? Uh, you talk about family being a place where we should be encouraged and and yet in my family experience, it was just always constant turmoil and chaos. I mean, we could do that. And that's the challenge with this idea of family is that whenever I have used that word to describe the church, I always feel like I have to give a lot of caveats. You know, like, oh, the church is a family, but not like your family. 
you know, like church is a family, but not, you know, not like most of them. And, and yet all over the place, listen, all over the New Testament, the word family is used to describe the church. And we think in our age that that's like, it's just so common. How many of you heard the phrase, the church is a family? Or you like, you think of, we're a family. How many of you? Seriously, it's a pretty common idea, right? In the first century, when those words were first uttered and written by the apostles, it was crazy train. Because in the first century, the only people that you would consider family were people who were connected to you biologically by blood. And that was the only way that the ancient world knew of loyalty or commitment. It was not a word that would ever be used for people outside of your immediate family. And so it's really crazy that, that we see in Genesis 12 this idea of having a, a, a people, a family being gathered through the community of faith. And so that was my thing for a long time. I had a really hard time with, with the word family and church being connected. And a number of years ago, I read this book by Peter Scazzaro, who wrote a book called Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. Highly recommend it. But he talks about how the church is a place for us to be reparented. And, and what his point is, is that, you know, most of us in the world have been really super jacked up by our families, okay? And I'm telling you that as a father and as somebody who's beginning to understand how much I've jacked up my family, <laughs> I'm like, oh my gosh, that wasn't what I was trying to communicate. That wasn't what our marriage was supposed to communicate. Like, we all have these things, most of us, many of us at least. And so... So what's the point of the church? The church is a place where we can come in and be re-familied, okay? We can be re-loved, we can be re-blessed, we can be re-encouraged, we can be re-parented. And so some of us in this room, though, some of you are like, nah, my family's pretty good. I'm serious. Like, some of you, like, had really healthy, stable environments. You Like, your dad and your mom loved each other, and they're great. So you want to know what your role is here at the Vineyard? Your role is to be the example and to love people and to help them to experience that stability. And then the rest of us need you. Right? We need you. We need you to be a good example for that. And that's, that's the complexity, I think, of, of church world. So here's the deal. Last night, I'm praying. And I'm praying, and I was just thinking about, about Genesis 12 and the implications of it and what I really felt like the Lord wanted us to just camp on for just a moment here, okay? What is this, this, this idea of what is the church and what is the nature of the church? And this word family just kept coming. And it's only, it's one of many metaphors in the Bible to describe the church, right? The church is described as a flock. The church is described as a temple. The church is described as a body. The church is described as a city of the kingdom. Those are all metaphors that are used in the Bible. But what about this word family? And here's the word that I felt like the Holy Spirit said. The Holy Spirit, when I was praying, said this phrase to me. The standard by which we gauge how we interact with each other should be measured by our commitment to our biological family. Let me, let me say that again. I'm going to unpack this. The standard by which we gauge how we interact with each other should be measured by our commitment to our biological family. Here's what I mean. I have five children. My wife and I have five children. No, we are not Catholic. No, we are not Mormon. That's the question that everybody asks us. Okay. We have five children, and I cannot tell you how much I love my kids. I would do anything for them. Anything. I want my kids to be successful, 
and to be contributors to society and to, and to experience grace and to just have everything that they can have for their goodness. Any other parents in the room with me? Like how many of you parents are like, you love your kids? Love your kids. Now how many of you grandparents love them even more? Yeah. Grandparents are psychopaths. That's all I got to say. <laughs> yeah, but I love it. Yeah, it is. And also grandparents are like, here, is your kid back. Take it home. Just take it. <laughs> okay, but here's the deal. If, if you love your kids, like unconditionally, isn't that true? You would do whatever it takes to provide for them. You would do whatever it, you just, you will. Like we go psycho about our kids. And so there's this level of commitment to our biological family. As a father or as a, as a husband or as a spouse or or as a, or a sibling, right? I mean, it's funny. Like, I have five younger sisters, and man, I do not like any of them. It's not true. But if you talk bad about my family, we are going to have problems, right? I mean, it's like, we, I just, I love them. I, I, there's an unconditional love, and there's a commitment and a loyalty to our biological family. Listen here. This is amazing. Paul the Apostle, inspired by the Holy Spirit, says the church community is a family, and the same level of commitment to your biological family you should have to the people who have been united to Christ by the power of the Spirit who are sitting next to you right now. It is super challenging, isn't it? It's very, very challenging. But that's the point. Genesis is saying that God wants to bless us so we can bless others. He wants to gather up a community of people that are committed to each other, who treat each other like family in a healthy, functional way, who influence each other to engage with the kingdom and who are constantly inspiring. I mean, that's the thing about the family members that I grew up with that I love dearly, is there were some family members when every time I saw that uncle, they were encouraging. Every time I saw that aunt, she just loved on me. And that's what we're supposed to be. Amen? Let's stand up together.